Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Well, Easter is next week, man. We're so excited to celebrate our very first Easter at Radiant Church, and we hope you can be here to celebrate with us in person at 10 a.m. If you have kids, I'm going to just tell you, man, they're going to love their Easter experience in Radiant Kids. Our kids team is going to take them on a journey from the Last Supper to the empty tomb. And each room the kids enter is going to be a different element to the Easter story. There's going to be activities that align with those elements and they'll wrap it up with a huge Easter celebration. You are not going to want them to miss out on that. We're also going to have a place for you to take some of those famous Easter family pictures, right? Yeah, every everyone has to take those on Easter. We all know how the family thing works, right? If your family's like mine, it's one of the few times every year where we're all dressed up kind of nice and we get together and we can take an actual good family picture, right? So don't miss that, all right? Next Sunday, 10 a.m., Easter at Radiant. We hope to see you here. But today, it's not Easter. <laughs> Today's actually Palm Sunday. So today we mark Jesus entering to Jerusalem for the final time. And it's also that final week in our teaching series called Wounded. And we started these teachings at the beginning of March with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane under so much stress, he's actually sweating blood. And it's here that we learned he was wounded for our peace. And then the next week, we followed him to his trials and the scourging at the hands of the Roman soldiers, which would have left him disfigured near death. And we learned that week that he was wounded for our healing, right? Now, then last week, we did a little deep dive into what Isaiah meant when he said that Jesus would be wounded, or I'm sorry, he'd be crushed for our iniquities. And we don't use that term iniquity much anymore, but iniquity implies that you're intentionally living a life of sin, that you know what you're doing is wrong, you know who God is, you're familiar with Christ and Christianity, whatever, but you're purposely living in opposition to God. I think the worst part of that kind of life is that if you're living in that manner, uh, you know that's not the life God has for you, right? And so we learned that Christ was wounded so we could be free, so we could live a better life than one of just intentional sin. Now, each week we've started with what has been, you know, the theme passes throughout this series of talks. We're going to head right back to Isaiah 53. It's kind of been the great foundation we've been building off of here. And so Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is where we're going to be at today, okay? He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So Isaiah says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Iniquity is knowingly living a life of sin apart from God, but a transgression is a little bit different. A transgression is an act that goes against a law or a code, and you can commit a transgression knowingly, but a lot of times you don't even realize you've committed one. So just to give you an example here, numerous attorneys and legal scholars have argued that the average person in America commits at least three felonies 
every single day before you have dinner. You didn't know you were a felon, did you? <laughs> You're a felon every day here in this country. Uh, but just because you didn't know you committed a transgression doesn't mean it's okay. So there's still a wrong which has to be made right. And whether you've intentionally chosen to sin against God or didn't realize what you were doing and how you were living was wrong and violated God's standards, a wrong nevertheless has been committed. And like any wrong, there are consequences associated with them. So for us, that consequence results in separation from God for all eternity. So unless we can somehow be forgiven, and that's really where Jesus, who never sinned, who overcame sin, that's where his sacrifice comes into play here. You know, we can boil down, in fact, what Christ did for us in the most simplest of terms like this, that he was wounded so we could be forgiven. Now I want to tell you a story real quick. There was a certain CEO who knows a thing or two about forgiveness. He led a multinational corporation. He was wealthy, one of the wealthiest men in the world. He had an interest in politics and he often donated to different campaigns and organizations. And one of the candidates he donated funds to actually ran for president and he won. And so, you know, the, the president awarded this wealthy man numerous state-funded projects to manage. That happens quite often. And it's safe to say this CEO and the president had a very close working relationship. Now, not long into his term, a news agency breaks, uh, broke a huge story. So this wealthy man, this CEO, he'd been caught breaking the law and a huge financial scandal. And as a result of all kinds of litigation, not to mention his own criminal expenses, the man lost just about everything that he had. So faced with bankruptcy and jail, he begs the president for help. He's asking for a full and complete pardon. He owed a debt he obviously couldn't repay. And as the story began to circulate among different papers and talk shows and blogs, the nation really kind of sat on edge wondering, would the president grant this man an absolute pardon who was you know, obviously guilty of a terrible wrong he could never make right or not? Was he worthy of, of being completely forgiven or should he suffer for the actions that he committed? Now I want to come back to the story really here in a moment, um, but, but for right now, you know, we, we may not be wealthy like that man in the story. We may not have been caught you know, giving all kinds of insider trading tips or whatever it was that he did that was so terrible, but there's something we have in common with this CEO. He owed a debt he couldn't repay, and, and so do we. See, what Jesus did for us on the cross, he, he took our punishment for our sins, our transgressions, right? He took those for us, and as an act of forgiveness now, we are forever indebted to Christ because of what he did for us. All throughout this teaching series, we have followed Christ from the Garden of Gethsemane to his trials to his receiving the crown of thorns last week. And today we're going to find him at a place called the skull. It's called that because the hill protrudes from the ground, much like a human head would from a, from a body. And so it's here where Christ will be crucified. And Luke's account of the story goes like this. Let's just jump to Luke chapter 23 for a moment. Luke 23, verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him, him being Jesus here. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I don't know how much you know about crucifixions or not, but it was one of the most painful, excruciating ways you could die. So your hands were not stretched out parallel, kind of like this. They were actually, you know, 
put above your head. And, and the nails were not driven through your palms, they were actually driven through your wrists. You have like a main artery which kind of bulges when you flex, okay? And they were driven right through here, and it's that very artery which will cause you to bleed out if you cut it deep enough. Um, your feet, when they were nailed, they were nailed not stretched all the way out, um, they were actually uh, bent a little bit because the Romans wanted you to feel intense pain when you breathe. So just taking a breath would make you wish for death. And so what happened is they brought your feet close enough to where you'd have to push yourself up to breathe. And so every time you push yourself up, your body's hanging like this, and you're pushing yourself up, your lungs are filled with searing pain. It feels like they're on fire. And, and your wrists feel like they're on fire. And you're trying to gasp for breath, much the same way a person would gasp for breath as if they're drowning. And some scholars think you could actually hear people gulping for air every time they pushed up from the cross. Kind of a crazy terrible experience, right? And it's in this painful moment that Christ does something incredibly shocking. He asks God the Father to forgive his executioners. That's pretty powerful, right? So Christ forgives the very folks who nailed him to the cross. He, he died, as a man named Paul writes to Timothy, to purchase freedom for everyone. Now there's an implication here. Before Christ enters our lives, we're not free from sin, and we're not free from the consequences that sin brings. In fact, we're in debt, and it's a debt that we owe God, which we cannot repay. And all throughout Scripture, is, this is repeated, that sin results in death. The sin is the consequence we suffer for our wrongful action, that we're separated from God because of it. And technically, we should pay for this debt with our lives. But Christ, the Son of God, offers to pay it for us and on our behalf when He allows Himself to be crucified on the cross. In ancient times, when a debt was canceled, it was written on a promissory note, and the note had a nail driven through it, and it was posted on the property in question to let everybody know publicly that the debt this individual owed is now paid. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, can I just tell you something, man? He was nailing the cancellation notice on the life of every person who would make Him Lord and Savior. Like when we surrender our lives to Christ, the debt we owe God for our sin, it is paid in full. We're free. Jesus paid your bill, man. He paid your bill. So there's no longer any debt that we owe God. It has been canceled. Think of that. Every sin, every wrong, everything forgiven forever. The forgiveness you and I so desperately need in our lives to repay that debt that we owe God, it's completely free and it's accessible and all you have to do is say yes. Now in our story, the CEO, he owes a debt that he can't repay either, right? And he's done something which is completely wrong. You know, people's entire life savings and retirement funds were wiped out in this scandal. And nobody feels sorry for this man or anybody kind of like him, right? We view people that, that way as pretty low, not worthy of any kind of pardon or mercy. Think about guys like Bernie Madoff, or if you're local in South Carolina, think of the Carolina investor scandal at the start of the 2000s, right? And so this wealthy man was awaiting the president's answer, and it came to his attention there was a low-level accountant in his firm who altered the books a little bit to the tune of like $4,000. And he was just so angry. How could this accountant do a terrible thing? I mean, how could he steal the money like that? So the CEO has the accountant arrested and pressed for the maximum sentence. Isn't that a little hypocritical? So the president learned of this, and he was outraged. And he calls the CEO into his office, and he goes, hey, I haven't even signed the pardon yet, bro. And I'm I'm not going to sign it now. Shouldn't you have shown leniency to your accountant like I was going to show for you? And so the CEO did not receive the pardon 
There was no forgiveness for him. Instead, he was found guilty of his wrongs and he received the maximum prison sentence for his crimes. Now, this is not a true story, but it should sound a little bit familiar to a few of you because it's a modern telling of the exact same story that Christ will share in Matthew chapter 18. Only instead of a CEO or president, it involves a king and a wealthy man who borrowed money to the tune of about a million dollars in today's currency. The king forgives this man when he can't repay the debt, but he rescinds that forgiveness when he learns this same man threw a person into debtor's prison for owing about $4,000 in our money today. The lesson, though, remains the same. If we want to receive forgiveness, we must forgive others. Now, I think, you know, we often find it easy to receive forgiveness from God. But to focus solely on our receiving forgiveness neglects an integral second step that we're supposed to take. See, when, when Jesus talks to God or asks God to forgive others on the cross, he's practicing what he previously taught, right? That you must forgive others if you're to receive forgiveness from God yourself. And so if we reach back a little bit to the beginning of his ministry, we'll learn that Jesus shares this, uh, this kind of teaching in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says this, that if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father, he'll forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let that soak in for a moment. Do you realize what Christ is saying right here? He's saying that if you don't forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. Like if you can't pardon them for the debt they owe you, God is not going to pardon you from the debt that you owe him. This is really serious stuff. Like we don't like these kind of passages, right? I mean, like we don't like teachings like that because it, it kind of takes the teddy bear picture of Jesus and just sort of stomps on it, doesn't it? But what makes this kind of teaching so hard actually is trying to consistently put it into practice. Like, how do you forgive the person who slandered your name all over social media for the world to see, right? How do you forgive someone who stole your identity and racked up all kinds of debt? How do you forgive the person who abused you, maybe in a variety of different ways? How do you forgive someone who took the life of your loved one because they were a, a careless driver? It's not easy. To forgive people. And instead of forgiveness, what we often do is we seek vengeance. You ever noticed right now that that's all anybody wants in our world? Like we live in such a vengeful culture at the moment. We'll turn over every rock. We'll search high and low for things other people did, which were wrong, regardless of how back in the past we have to dig. And then when that person tries to make amends, when they ask for forgiveness, whatever, what happens? It's not given. Like they don't get that anymore. Like we live in a graceless world right now. There's no room for error. We demand everything. Every person be perfect, except for ourselves, of course, because that's how it always works. And we refuse to offer people a second or a third, even a fourth chance. We refuse to dispense grace and forgiveness in the manner like Christ did. And, and I know it's hard to forgive. And I, I sympathize with many of you who have hurts which cut far deeper than my own. Yeah, I, I don't know what your lived experience is like. But here's what I do know, that Christ, who, who had a grave injustice done to him, an innocent man sentenced to die, he lifted the very people who put him on the cross, and he forgave them. Now, this might be one of the, those kind of passages that you wish wasn't in the Bible, right? Like, you could just take scissors and cut it all out. But it's, it's one of those things that you, I, I don't, I, sometimes I don't wish that Christ said it, because it's just so hard to do. But he forgave his accusers. 
And instead of being vengeful, he was forgiving. And, and for us, we're supposed to do the exact same thing. Christ offered grace. We're to offer grace as well. He did it with his dying breath, knowing that folks were in the wrong. We're to do the same thing. And so as painful as it may be, if we're going to have true forgiveness in our lives, we have to not only accept forgiveness that Christ offers us, but we must forgive those who've deeply wronged us too. And can I just tell you that if you will extend grace and forgiveness to people who've wronged you, you will stand out like a sore thumb in a world where grace no longer exists. Like right off the bat, you'll become somebody who is different because you chose forgiveness instead of vengeance. At the end of Jesus' story in Matthew 18, the king takes the man whom we describe as the wealthy CEO in our story, and he imprisons him. Matthew 18, 34, it, it ends like this. Jesus says, Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. See, a refusal to forgive others is a clear indication that you don't have a truly changed heart yet. You haven't fully given your life over to Christ. You, you haven't lived what we would call the repentant life. Repentance is not forgiveness, by the way. It's actually more than that. Repentance is the complete transformation in how you think. It's a 180 turn in your life. And so followers of Christ are able to forgive the deepest of wrongs because of repentance. Now, when you harbor bitterness and anger and hatred in your heart from your failure to forgive somebody else, you're not walking in God's light. You're walking in the shadows of darkness. In order to receive the debt cancellation notice from God in your life, you got to let it go. You got to forgive people so God can forgive you as well. Six years ago, we were living in Charleston and we actually just landed at the airport after we were out in California all week. We just landed in the airport and we got in the car. It was late at night, almost midnight, and, and every radio station had the same news story playing. We got home and all the local TV stations were playing the exact same thing, you know. And again, it's like it's, it's, it's midnight, one o'clock, it's pretty late. It's not like this is the typical evening news time slot, you know. And, and we learned that that day there was a white man who had gone and he had killed numerous black individuals at Mother Emanuel AME Church in downtown Charleston. Now, if you're not familiar with Charleston, this is the oldest AME church in the entire Southeast. It dates back to 1817. So the shooter was arrested, of course, and, and when he was brought in for his first arraignment, they televised it, you know, we, we all got to watch it on TV. The judge allowed the family members of the victims to speak to him. Now, if you'd lost your, your mother or father or husband or grandmother or son in this attack, how would you have responded? Like, what kind of emotion and anger would be building up within you? What would you say to him? To everyone's astonishment, and I really, I really mean that because uh, different news commentators, their own reactions can really attest to this. To everybody's astonishment, nobody saw it coming. One by one, the families forgave the shooter. They were rightfully angry. They communicated that to the shooter, but, but they each came and forgave him, even remarking that some were praying for the condition of his very soul. Listen, those are not words and actions of people bent on vengeance. They stem from a place of forgiveness. They come from hearts who understood God's promise that vengeance is mine, he says in Deuteronomy. I'll repay. Leave the judging to God, and you err on the side of grace. You know, there were no riots in Charleston. Instead, there were prayer vigils. There were unity marches. There was a completely different atmosphere surrounding an abhorrent tragedy. 
And without a doubt, it stemmed from the families choosing to forgive and not to hate. Their actions challenged so many of us. If, if they could forgive a notorious murderer who showed no remorse for what he had done, who by all accounts was guilty of the harshest punishment possible for his crimes. Can I forgive someone who offends me? Like, can, can I forgive someone who, who cheated on me? Can I forgive someone who spread false rumors and tarnished my name? Can I, can I forgive people who've wronged me? It's not easy to forgive the people who've hurt you. Painful memories and experiences often resurface when you walk down that road. And here's the thing too, you don't know how folks will react. You struggle to justify forgiveness when you wish really for vengeance. But when I think of Jesus on the cross and I think of him offering forgiveness with his dying breath, when I think of what he's done for me and, and, and how he forgave me, how can I not forgive other people who've wronged me as well? How can you not forgive those who've inflicted pain in your life. So today, there's two things I want you to do in response to this message. First, if you haven't received God's forgiveness for your transgressions, for your sins, today's your day. Make today the day that you say yes to Christ and receive the forgiveness that He brings. In a moment, I'm going to walk you through a two-step prayer that you can make Christ Lord and Savior of your life. It'll bring you into God's kingdom. You're going to be what we call saved after that. But your journey is not going to end. It's going to actually just begin. But then here's what I want to do for, for all of us out there, regardless of whether you know Christ or not. I want to challenge you with this. Reach out to the people who've harmed you, but have not received your forgiveness yet. Now, I know that's a huge step for some of you to take. You may not be able to meet face to face. It could be too much for you. I just, I just can't do that. That's, that's fine. Write them a letter, though. Send it to them. Don't email. Write a letter. Let them know how they've harmed you, but let them know how you have forgiven them because Christ was wounded so we could be forgiven. I'm telling you, man, as he forgave us, we're to forgive other people. And if you can extend that grace in a world that no longer has grace to give and doesn't understand it, if you can extend grace as Christ did, you will make a life-changing monumental impact in another person's life. Let Christ use you today. Forgive as he also forgave us. Can we pray together? Father, I love you this, uh, today. Thank you so much for those who are watching and listening right now. And I pray for those who don't know you, that today, Lord, they would say yes to you. May today be the day they say yes. I pray right now that you'd forgive them of their sin. In fact, that's what we're going to do. The first step of this prayer, we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you will come into their lives and you forgive them of the wrongs they've committed, that, God, you will cleanse them of the wrong and, and, and sin and transgression and iniquity, God, that they have. And I pray, Lord, that you give them a brand new start, that from this day forward, Lord, you cleanse their heart, make them whole, make them new, give them the new start they need, God. Forgive them, Lord, I pray, and, and become Savior of their lives. And Father, now that you're Savior, here's our next part, our step number two, we're going to make Him Lord. Now that you've become their Savior, I pray you become Lord of their lives. And from this day forward, Lord, they commit themselves to following after you and serving you and giving their hearts and lives over to you. Father, I pray that you would begin to uh, help them understand the importance of obediently 
committing themselves to you. And no longer will they call the shots and no longer, God, will they do their own thing, but they are going to submit themselves to following your guidance and your leading. And as you are their Lord and their Savior, may you, God, just begin new transformative work in their heart and their soul and set them apart, God, and, and use them for your kingdom and glory to reach folks for you. Now, Father, for all of us out there today, Lord, I pray who've been hurt, who've been harmed, and been withholding forgiveness from people that we need to dispense it to. God, may you give us the strength to forgive those who've harmed us. Lord, I, everyone's got different hurts and they cut in different levels. And Father, some of us have hurts that cut deeper than others and we would be appalled to hear what happened. But nevertheless, we've got to forgive. And even for those individuals who find it incredibly difficult, God, may they at least be able to write that letter to say, hey, I, I, I forgive you. What you did hurt, what you did scarred me. I've got all kinds of issues I'm working through, but I forgive you because God has forgiven me. Lord, when we forgive people, may it be an incredible, uh, Father, impactful moment in a world that doesn't know how to give grace anymore. May we stand out like a sore thumb. God, may we be the brightest burning light in this dark world when we forgive other people who've harmed us and we give second and third and fourth chances to folks, God, not because they deserved it or earned it, but because, Lord, you do the same for us. As we love and forgive, as you love and forgive, may that be a testament to itself, to the nature of who you are and the freedom you bring. And may many people, God, come to know you because we simply extended grace and forgave as you forgive. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much for giving us victory and giving us forgiveness. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you said Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, if you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.